Hello and welcome to episode 10 of the Ski Instructor Podcast. My name is Dave Burrows. I'm the director and founder of Snow Pro Ski School based here in Switzerland. And I join you from, um, well, it's certainly uh, the weather has turned much more towards the autumn now. We had a beautiful Indian summer in September. and uh, But now uh, October has hit. The weather has really, really changed. There's snow, snow on the high mountains down to about 2,000 meters around here. And, uh, and the valley that I live in is currently filled with clouds. So, uh, so yeah, autumn's really on its way, and um, and that's good because uh, it means that we can start to get up on the glaciers soon again, and, and get uh, get tuned up for for, for the winter. Um, this week for episode ten, um, I am joined by Terry Godbout, and Terry is the guy who started the Elite Skiing Facebook page and latterly the uh, EliteSkiing.com uh, website. Um, I had a really, really great chat um, with Terry. Um, he joined me over the phone from, from Idaho in the US where he lives. Um, and he, talk, he told me all about uh, uh, the issues, you know, starting elite skiing and extraordinary growth. There's something like 35,000 people who, who follow his page now, which is purely images and videos of, uh, of high-performance technical skiing. So um, it was great to chat with him and hear all about that. And, and that's what we're going to chat about um, in the first half. So uh, enjoy this and uh, I'll catch you in the middle. Hello. Terry Godbout, uh, you uh, welcome to the Ski Instructor Podcast. Um, you're on the phone to us from uh, Hi- Idaho in the US, and um, the reason that I've got you on is because you're the the founder, I guess, of this amazing, um, well, what started out as a Facebook group, this uh, which is which is elite skiing. Um, so, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm very very well. You? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing great. Um, I live uh, I live in Switzerland, uh, as you know, and I live, live just opposite. Well, I, my house looks out onto a iconic set of mountains called the Don de Midi, which are quite famous around here. And we've had snow, I think, uh, last night down to about it must be, I don't know, it's getting down to almost about two thousand meters, which is quite exciting for the autumn. Um, oh, good. Yeah, yeah, it's really exciting. I know you guys have had some snow in the US as well. Yeah, we're in the northwest U.S., and uh, uh, they're uh, like Glacier Park, which is kind of uh, north-central U.S. Uh, on on the uh, east side, uh, there was one town that was isolated because they had four feet or probably 1.2 or 3 meters of snow wow. at, okay. at, in the valleys. Yeah. Oh, that's terrific. Oh, it's a, maybe it's a... A good omen for the start of the season, then. Hopefully, yes. <laughs> Terrific. And where you live, um, I, I confess I don't know much about it, but you said you've got a number of, of resorts quite close to where you live? Yes, I live in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, which is a uh, lake, mountain lake community in northern Idaho. Uh, we have uh, several... Oh, small to medium-sized ski areas. Uh, Lookout Pass being the smallest, which is where I prefer to ski because it's the furthest uh, east and has the best snow. Mm-hmm. Uh, the largest ski area is Schweitzer Basin out of Sandpoint, Idaho. 
then we have Mount Spokane, Silver Mountain, and a ski area called 40, 49 degrees north, which is the furthest west. And they're all within an hour and a half of my home. Oh, that's terrific. So you can just pick up uh, pick up your skis, jump in the car, and go to whichever one suits you. Right. <laughs> right, yeah. None, a... none of them are really alpine in nature. Yeah. Well, are, are they more sort of um, what we call ski hills, I suppose? Uh, yes, yeah. Now, uh, a few, two of them have... Uh, they're they're steep enough and rocky enough that they do have avalanche uh, mitigation efforts in mm-hmm. place all the time. So, okay. Well, I do for, for regular listeners of this podcast, they, they will know that I, I rave about small resorts. I love I love places that are, you know, oh, yeah. one lift hills and stuff like that. That, that for me, that's I just think that's brilliant. So, uh, so when I ever finally get round to doing this tour of the US, I'm going to be visiting all of these places. But uh, um, you know, we had uh, I, I think. Yeah, I spent a lot of time, and I will spend again a lot of time this winter in a little place just up from Geneva called La Dole, and it's really only you know a bunch of drag lifts and one chairlift, but it's brilliant. You know, there's no one there, family atmosphere. Right, got a place to yourself. You know, it's it's awesome, really, really good, and I love places like that. I really do. I, I refer to that as no hassle skiing. Yeah, yeah, and everyone's yeah. friendly, right? You know, it's it's great. Right. Yeah. It's great, you know, you, you, there's sometimes a little bit soulless, some of these mega resorts, you know, I spend a lot of time in those as well, and, uh, right. you know, the, the atmosphere is different, it's really, really different. Um, one of the things that, that kind of, our, our local, well, the one that we use the most for kind of beginners and stuff like that, and also some of the other areas that are linked on the Swiss side of, of, of where we are in the Port de Soleil, is one of the things that we really, really like is that the... All of the ski instructors kind of say hi to each other. So you ski past another ski instructor and you're like, hey, how you doing, man? You know, and everyone waves oh. at everyone else. And all the lifties are friendly. Um, that was something that uh, when, when I skied, uh, the only time I actually skied in Europe was in 84. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I was just amazed at how interconnected the ski areas were. Mm. Uh, that's something we don't have so much of in the U.S. But uh, I remember one spot... Uh, Actually, I think it was in France, and I can't remember the resort now. Where, from a high point, it looked like I could see ten miles to the north, mm. and there were lifts on on every ridge line. Yeah, that's cool, isn't it? That's really really cool. It's true. You yeah. see them everywhere. Actually, I've only started. I, mean, I don't know why. I've only just noticed this, but I kind of when I'm driving around here, I'm starting to see. Oh yeah, I can see that lift from over there. I can see that one from over there, and it's. It's um, it's just something I just noticed the other day, but yeah, no, you're right, and but that friendliness I was saying was was uh, is something that's quite I really really value. Um, you know, it's nice to be friends with kind of all the other guys on the mountain, or at least you know, on, right. on waving hello terms. But when you go to the slightly bigger resort, so let's say I travel an hour around the corner to Verbier, you just don't get that. Like people don't just they just don't say hello to each other. And really? yeah, and I think something's lost then, you know, like it doesn't, yeah, for me, it, it feels a little bit less, you know, like a community. You know, I guess it's because they've got so many ski schools over there and not everyone knows each other. You know, maybe that's it. But, but I think you lose something in that, you know, if you're, uh, um, if you're going to these bigger places. Well, they certainly, you know, should acknowledge uh, and, and respect other instructors because it's pretty easy to identify an instructor yeah for sure for sure yeah 
Um, although, well, yeah, in a place like Verbier, though, like no one can tell, I don't know who, who can tell what. You know, everyone's got, there's only, if you've got 17 or 18 ski schools there, how many, there's only, you know, there's so many different variations of colours that you can wear, right? <laughs> and still stand out. Um, one of the guys, I think one of the schools there last year, they had like a sort of grey colour and they almost blended in with the snow. And you thought, well, it's not very identifiable. Um, but maybe they've changed it this year. I don't know. But uh, yeah, I, I think it's quite quite an interesting thing. But you don't have that in the US, do you? Because you're, you're, the ski school is owned, or I guess owned by the corporation or owned by the hill. So there's only one, one game in town, as I understand it. Well, in, in most ski areas, uh, that's the case. Uh, in the West, the uh, United States Forest Service actually owns most of the ground, so everything is under their jurisdiction. And it's just a little bit easier for them to um, control things if there's if the ski school is owned by the ski area. Mm-hmm. But then you get in, like out of Seattle, Washington, there's a mountain pass 55 miles from Seattle, mm. and I think five ski areas on top of that. Uh, now they're all owned by one entity, but there it sounds like it's Verbier where uh, you know there's probably ten to fifteen mm. uh, ski schools up yeah. there. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, I didn't know that that situation existed in, uh, in in the U.S. I didn't know that that was a thing. Yeah, the major resorts it doesn't at all, mm. and and you. You know, sometimes if you're just helping a friend, uh, at times people look at you like, oh, uh, you know, yeah, make, making a little money on the side here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, to be honest, that also happens. You know, if you happen to go over in France, they're pretty militant over there. So if you're teaching a mate, often, you know, you'll get a French guy come up to you and say, hey, you teaching? And uh yeah, that will be, you know, you, you feel like you have to explain yourself to these guys. And it's like, right. look, I'm doing what I'm yep. doing. You, you, you've got a problem, go get the policeman, you know. So, uh, yeah. yeah, so that that's, yeah, it, it exists. I guess that's a common thing that we have there. Uh, terrific. Okay. And, and when you came to Europe then, so where did you ski? Where were you, where were you when you were over here? Uh, we, uh, I think we were there 10 days. We skied... Um, Bakistan, and I think there was four ski areas there, skied at, uh, Sparkestein, I can't remember the others. Mm -hmm. Then uh, I went to Chamonix. Uh, My my favorite from Chamonix was Cormier. Yeah. And Cormier is very weird in that it is virtually identical to a ski area in Colorado called uh, Arapaho Basin. Oh, really? Okay. Which is pretty fun here. And just the whole layout of the lifts, the, the topography. Yeah. Uh, just weird. Huh? And I, I went to Cormier before I'd ever gone to uh, Arapaho Basin, which is called A Basin. Yeah. By most When I went there, I felt like I was back in Cormier again. Huh? And then we, we, uh, we did the Valley Blanc... Uh, Let's see. I can't remember the name of the French resort we skied at. I, I was pretty impressed with uh, the variety, and uh, the, the only thing that baffled me then is uh, that was in kind of the monoski era. Yeah. And at that point in time, 
the a lot of the the French guys would just hike or take a lift to some point and then come straight down the hill, not make a single turn. I I never understood that. <laughs> Well, well, we'll maybe filter that into the conversation later when we talk about the comments that we get in elite skiing because there's a lot of that, isn't there? These guys are just going straight. Right. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, do you know, we still see, I don't know whether you see it in the US, you still see the odd mono border around. Um, very, it's very rare in the US. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say they're common where we are, but you go in the French, certainly in the French French resorts, there's a few still, still you know, keeping at it. <laughs> <laughs> who makes the skip I don't, I don't think anyone makes them anymore I think they're probably just oh. all kind of reconditioned ones or, or, or whatever I, okay. I, I honestly don't know um, listeners if you're listening and you know get in touch and tell me where we can get a monoboard um, <laughs> I, I just don't know why you would bother you know it just looks like such a rubbish way to get around um, right. it's strange really really strange uh, so, were you, so were you in Chamonix before they made the Blizzard of Oz like the Glen Plake movie and all those crowd came over to Chamonix and Europe? Uh, you know, it was about the same time. Okay. It's 84. Yeah. So everything was like fluorescent colors and long skis. Right. Yeah. Ah, cool. That must have been a really, really interesting time. All right. Cool. Um, right. So I'll tell you what we'll do. Let's, I, I'm curious to know, because I just want to jump straight into this. So what, you started elite skiing. It, it essentially started as a Facebook group. What, I'm curious to know what the why behind it is, and why did you why did you start it? Well, uh, yeah, let me back up quite a bit. Then mm. uh, I I didn't start skiing until I was in high school, late in high school, when I was cut from the basketball team, and I needed something else to do in the winter. Okay. I've been an ice skater, so I I started skiing and. Uh, really got after it and actually started teaching in my third year mm. uh, a local area where I lived and then I went 100 miles away uh, to Bozeman, Montana uh, where I, I went to college mm. and uh, they were on a quarter system there and I figured out that I could uh, with, with summer quarters that if I wanted to get my three quarters a year in I could take winter quarters off and uh, go to school spring, uh, summer, and fall. Okay. So, yeah, it was a very, very nice college job. Oh. Uh, and we were at a fabulous ski area called Bridger Bowl, which is becoming uh, known uh, and has grown a lot since we were there. It's The terrain in the snow is very much like Alta, uh, mm. extremely snow. It's where the term cold snow or cold smoke to describe the snow uh, was first coined, and now a lot of areas have adopted that. But mm-hmm. So I taught that full time um, for a number of years, and I, had, uh, I was working for an Austrian ski school director, uh, probably a 35-year-old guy mm-hmm. uh, from Austria, and, and the, the level of... Uh, expertise that he had in knowledge because he had been a graduate of the Krukenhauser School in Austria. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was just so blown away with professionalism and uh, it, it was a wonderful influence. And at that point in time, at least in, in our area, you know, most of the instructors were part-time and the, the American 
Ski Instructor Association, the PSIA, was just uh, being formulated, and most of the people were part-time instructors. Mm-hmm. I, I, just having this outside influence, having the influence of both the PSIA plus the Austrian influence, and then in 1968, uh, a bunch of us that were teaching there went down to Aspen for the uh, eighth interski. And there we were, it was a small gathering then, uh, in the spring, and I, I was just blown away with uh, what I saw from all the different countries. Yeah. Not so that I felt that uh, anything was better than the other thing, but just the, the, the different ways that they went at things and the different methodology they used to teach people. So, uh, from there, uh, I, I don't know, I've just always had this interest uh, in, in, I often call it beyond PSIA, because here most of the American instructors are primarily and sometimes only influenced by the uh, PSIA uh, infrastructure. Mm. But I, I'm interested in what's going on around the world, and that interski thing caused me then to really follow what happened every four years with the interski okay and with the advent of youtube of course Mm. uh and uh i i think the best one was the 2011 interski which i think was in austria Mm. uh and the, the canadian ski instructor association did this terrific set of youtube clips a lot of which were demonstrators just kind of free skiing? Oh, I've seen that. I've seen different that. speed. Yeah, I've seen yeah. that. Isn't it the most amazing yeah. thing? That do you know one of the yeah, yeah and and uh, there's I, I distinctly remember that video because there's a roller in it, and yes, the one of the right. Swiss yes. guys comes around. I have no idea who he is. One of the Swiss guy demonstrators comes in and he sort of comes off of the roller on one foot, lands, you know, gets it really oh. crazy and lands on the wrong foot and carries on. And I was like, wow. That was amazing, wow. and it was yeah, it was one of the inspirational things for me as well. I've been watching that video a lot. Yeah, every, every so often I post one or two of those clips to Elite Skiing, and everybody seems to enjoy it when I do that. Yeah, but, uh, sure. It's, oh, no, and, it's yeah, great video that. I, I I think the Americans at the outset were too focused. It was almost like the final forms in ice skating at that point in time. Mm-hmm. So focused on minute movements, slow speeds, and it was just mind-numbing what they expected. And and then compared to that clip that you're referring to, the, the Swiss guy at the 2011 interski, mm. you know, just loose, skiing fast. Yeah. Uh, and I've, I've always admired that. I don't see that from every country. Uh, I think the French are like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not all of the Swiss, but quite a few of the Swiss. Uh, and and I, I really admire that trait. Mm. It's, so, yeah. and I'm looking in the far north of the U.S. I'm only 90 miles from the Canadian border. Mm-hmm. So I heard that the Canadian Ski Instructor Association was doing what they called a high-performance clinic. Okay. And something I'd never even heard of, or, and I was pretty sure if the American uh, Ski Instructor Association didn't do anything like that. So I signed myself up to go up there and, and take 
part in this clinic, and there are 135 Canadians and one Yank, me, <laughs> and it was mind-numbing. Uh, I because they have a goal in Canada; they want you to ski really well. Right. They they want you to be able to teach, but as part of that, they also want you to ski really, really well. Okay. And I, I I've been very involved with them too so again just taking stuff from all over the place and then for our local ski area guys about 10 years ago uh, somebody started a facebook page called tips and tricks for instructors mm -hmm. and so i started i was uh training director for the ski area at that point in time and i just started posting some uh early youtube clips to that group okay and we got up to 26 people total this is a small ski area yeah. and never never had another person join so um, when when i started elite skiing i used the same approach and i think we were at 5,000 members in two months yeah so yeah it was crazy <laughs> you certainly sort of tapped into uh a demand for something Right, because uh, before elite skiing, uh, you're right. I don't, I don't really know what there was before that in terms of seeing such quality images of of skiing around, you know, from all over the world. In fact, um, and you're right, the, the the growth was massive. You know, all of a sudden, just like zero to whatever um, in in no time at all. Did, did I mean was that was that surprising to you? Oh yes, yeah. I I figured, you know might have a thousand members someday yeah so and well i think we had a thousand in a week and a half crazy <laughs> you were one of the first people to join as i recall oh really oh, okay well that's yeah. that's good to know i think may 11th you joined i think we started it on may 9th so you were very very early oh wow okay well good for me i'm sure i was invited by someone else i don't think i just stumbled across it but uh yeah yeah i think i've yeah. got my friend ali to thank for that but Oh, oh, that's that's amazing. Okay, and and now you're at how many, how many sort of members of the the group are there now? There's an extraordinary number of people following. Yeah, now. thirty, thirty-four thousand five hundred. Thirty-four. That's amazing. Okay. Yeah, and and you know, um, if if we were a group like over here, we have Pugsky, where people like to talk and discuss and argue over every little detail mm. we, we could do that with 34,000 members no, you know no. it, it's uh, people have to be more selective and uh, you know we uh, the posts submitted to us were we only put about 20 percent of them on the page all right so that's bad because people can't get something on there just because they like it but yeah. it, it allows me to really put the best stuff on and I really try to do that and mm. uh, you know the the video clips uh, are, are terrific the uh, the uh, the historical aspects of skiing a few people complain about that but most people really seem to enjoy that mm. uh, and yeah. I didn't see that coming and the other thing I didn't see coming was the uh, the still images uh, Sometimes, some some days I just say, oh, my God, I, you know, I got three images today and they're all stunning, mm. you know, 
Mm. And uh, and that's why I started changing out our cover photo at the top uh, every three or four days to give them more exposure. So. Oh, I see. All right. Oh, that's good. That, that I, I find that one of the, 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 I have to say, I find that one of the most strange things. It doesn't so much happen in the, the winter. It seems to be a summer thing. Um, but how there is this kind of, uh, what is a sort of retro element to elite skiing where you know, yes. there's, there's people posting this kind of historical yeah. stuff that some of us have probably never seen. And I, I don't, you know, there's often the question posted, I think, underneath some of these is like, is this elite or what does it mean? But it looks to me right. that you use that just for, I don't know, filling space in the summer or something. I'm not sure how, how that squares off with it, with the notion of eliteness. Well, uh, it's you know, it was elite 40 and 50 years ago. So. <laughs> yeah. And it is when whenever I've surveyed the members, uh, it it is one of the most loved parts of elite skiing. Mm. It's yeah, but it's not for everybody. But then World Cup racing isn't for everybody. No, that's true. And yeah, and and jumping off cliffs isn't for everybody. And uh, so it's just just kind of a mix. And I I wish I could tell you the formula mm. that I use, but there isn't one. It's just kind of. Well, this looks good, and let's post it. And yeah, yeah, well, that's cool. Um, that's interesting. So the the um, from 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 my, so listener, you may may my daughter is actually going to bed right now. So uh, so she is. Um, if you hear anything in the background, that's what that is. Okay. Um, but uh, but um, okay. So from the. I think I suppose with that, there's a few things that come with that, right? So you've got all of a sudden you're you're to thirty four and a half thousand members, and I've noticed amongst the comments. So I'm trying to spend less and less time on Facebook in general, but elite skiing is one of the things that I go on there for. Um, but I've noticed that with with thirty four and a half thousand members, you you're you're getting I don't know. It looks like to me. That the comments are getting harder to the comment section is getting harder and harder to manage. You know, it looks like there's there's more trolling going on. There's more kind of people just kind of winding each other up. Um, you know, the, the I've put it in here as a, a thought bubble, but it says you know the arguing. How, how do you keep a handle on that? Because that must be difficult to, to manage, no? Well, we uh, about about five months into the group. We we had a, a group of people that knew each other, and they literally tried to take the group over, <laughs> and okay. they did not have uh, the, the same goal in mind that I had. Uh, they they loved the arguing mm. and name calling and profanities and posting nudes, and <laughs> I I finally got to a point. And, and everybody told me when I started this that I had to I had to let this be free that whatever happens happens mm. and I was go with that but it was just turning into something I was embarrassed by yeah so just late one night I just started deleting I deleted posts comments and members mm -hmm. and I sometimes warned them uh, depending on the ex uh, severity of what they did sometimes I didn't warn them I just deleted them Mm. And everybody told me, you know, the page was going to collapse and die, and it took off like a rocket. Yeah. It turned out that there were all these people who were interested in civil discourse, uh, who who wanted to uh, be able to talk without the 
fear of being accosted. Mm. Uh, and again, in the surveys we've done, um, that's what we keep hearing. You know, thank you for keeping that element out. Yeah. And we write, you know, I think I've got, I, I looked a moment ago, I think there's 68 people trying to join the group from last night. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll probably end up accepting half of them. Well, you vet Not them the on the basis that they are skiers or obvious yeah, skiers? skiers. Uh, sometimes uh, there are people who uh, were long-time skiers and now they're incapacitated and they want to stay in touch, and I always allow them. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, yeah, so, uh, but my gosh, the, the, the people from South Vietnam, North Vietnam, Pakistan, Central Africa, you know, mm -hmm. it's not hard to figure that <laughs> what their motives are. They're trying to spam a yeah. lot of people because of our group size. And, mm -hmm. you know, I just won't let them into the group. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Um, you mentioned earlier, like you sort of alluded to having a goal for the group. But what if you had to state it? What 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 is the goal for the group? Yeah, you know, where where does it go really from here? Well, the goal the goal I think, and it's worked for me, uh, even just watching it is is just to to take it from a local experience to make it a worldwide experience. Mm -hmm. I had no idea there were two ski areas in South Africa when I started this. Mm -hmm. And uh, and it's interesting because with South America and Australia and New Zealand, uh, the the growth of the group does not slow down in the summer. It's it's just it's it's so consistent, mm -hmm. uh, you know. And, and here we are. We're looking at spring skiing in in uh, uh, South America and the startup glacier skiing in Europe right now. So it just it just keeps going and going. It's continuous. Mm. When when the worldwide view. Yeah. Okay. Well, that, and and so, the, but in terms of the, the overall goal is what is just to kind of keep the group going with images, video, awareness of of what is perceived to be really really good skiing. Uh, yeah, and uh, I've I've talked with some of my buddies too about starting to do some, uh, maybe do some events. Uh, mm -hmm. we, we haven't, I frankly haven't had the time to get too much into that. We're going to do a local, uh, there's within about 100 miles of me, I think there's 350 members. All right. And we're going to, yeah, we're going to set up a, a local uh, ski area here, Mount Spokane, that has night skiing. Oh, cool. Oh, it'll be a you know an afternoon dinner and night skiing event of some sort. So I want to start bringing some of these people together, uh, taking taking advantage of the group. Uh, we almost did a trip to uh, Argentina this year, but mm -hmm. uh, it was just too little, too late to try and do something. Mm. Uh, so that that's kind of on the horizon. Oh, amazing! So so sort of local localized meetups. For yeah, elite skiing well, members. Well, we could do international ones like uh, in Canada. I don't know if you've heard of this. Mm. Western Canada, uh, there's a road that services a lot of the major ski areas, and they call it the Powder Highway. Mm. And where I live, it would be real easy to do a week tour skiing 
um, you know, seven ski areas, five to seven ski areas in a week's time, just traveling a bus from area to area. Oh, yeah. So that, all that kind of stuff. As far as the group size, uh, for a period of time, that was kind of a goal. Mm. But where we're now, that is no longer a goal. Whatever it ends up being, it ends up being. Okay. Uh, we, we, we don't need more members, but if, if people who are interested and qualified uh, want to join, there's no objection to it growing. So. Mm. And do you, uh, and, and so in addition to, to that, didn't you, as I understand it, you, you spun off a website off of it? And there's there's a few other bits and pieces going on there. Well, yes, we did. We did the the website, and uh, they both kind of started. Uh, but the Facebook page uh, just was more demanding of the time because of the growth. Mm. So the web page has become kind of a uh, repository of uh, like our eighteen members. You know, a bio on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, you know, when you when you, I, I'm always trying to look to the future in skiing to try and figure out, you know, where we're going to be in five years. This mm-hmm. is a personal me, and I have always been intrigued with what, you know, is usually called racers free skiing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always I, I I look at the World Cup racers, and to me, they are the most qualified skiers athletically mm-hmm. the most qualified skiers because of their physical condition they're on the latest and best equipment usually on a perfect slope and uh, especially when it's in slow motion to to really watch what they're doing uh if if i was ahead of an instructor association i would have an annual review of a bunch of these and then use that to uh, help uh, instructors in the association uh, have a goal mm-hmm. uh, for their skiing and for others. You know, how do you let's say that that is? And I'm just arguing the devil's advocate position here because whenever I'm listening to podcasts, I always sure. want to. I always want to. I always want to. You know, I, I hear someone say something, and I go, "I wish that the interviewer would say that." So I suspect there's probably a few people who want me to say, "Well, racers free skiing." might be looking for something different to what a ski instructor is looking for. You know, let's say a racer is free skiing, they might be looking for, I don't know, pressure above the fall line, a slightly different turn shape. Um, You know, they might be looking to get a lot of the turn done up high, Um, whereas your sort of ski instructor turn is a different type of turn, right? You, You can't really be teaching racing turns to regular clients. Is, I mean... Oh. I'm just I'm just putting that there because it just occurred to me. That's all. Yeah, and I one of the things. Uh, in, in fact, I had a, a message this morning for uh, from a uh, long-term Austrian member, and and he was telling me that the in his view the Austrian this wasn't posted to the to the Facebook page mm-hmm. that Austrians teach people to make good turns in all terrain and that's not so in other countries and i i don't know if i agree with him i, I don't think so but mm. when when he when i see these world cup racers uh making some of these turns uh 
there's such an economy of motion mm. and such efficient skiing. Yeah. The you know an instructor, a, a racer is trying to accelerate, and an instructor is trying to control their speed. Yeah. And not necessarily accelerate. So you know, there's a bit of a contradiction there. But uh, mm. I find uh, when when I'm riding the lift that if if somebody skiing underneath me catches my eye, uh, that it's usually uh, a racer of some sort or somebody with a strong racing background. Yeah, I agree with you on the economy of movement thing. I think that, and that's a really, really good way of phrasing it. You know, they, they do just enough at any given time. Um, right. I'm thinking of, there's been a couple actually who puts out some quite good ones. Um uh, of the Dave, oh, I'm British, so uh, hopefully, hopefully, yeah, Dave Riding's ones. He put a couple up that were were just extraordinary in terms of kind of only just doing exactly enough exactly, for what yeah. he wanted at that time. I thought they were they were really eye opening, um, really eye opening those turns. Um, you know, and, and actually, some of the other the really really big ga- big names you don't get to see free skiing that much i'd love to see some marcel hersher free skiing but those days are gone yeah. i think i don't know where those videos are i've yeah. been looking for <laughs> well unless he's unless he was so good by the end of it that actually he probably just yeah. you know, went up did his runs and then just went straight home maybe he doesn't free ski yeah. you know um there's a few of christopherson right have you ever seen a, a clip of ingmar Steinmark free skiing no i haven't current one no i haven't either no there's some of John Claude Killy skiing powder, isn't there, somewhere? Some old footage. Um, right. But that, I mean, that, that was, you know, that shows you that good skiers are good skiers through it, you know, down the ages for sure. Um, but, yeah, I, I just thought that was, you know, you're right in terms of to watch a good racing skier. You know, they're just turning just enough to keep whatever speed that they want and no more than that. I think that's a really, really valid point. You often see some extra movement or... Or what looks like um, uh, movement patterns, built-in movement patterns in some of these kind of high-end ski instructors to videos. Right. You know, they're, they're skiing with a certain style. Um, I'm thinking of the videos that are coming out of the southern hemisphere, and and um, and you know maybe some of the uh, the Japanese Korean skiers. They're skiing in a certain style, whereas the racers they're just kind of doing just enough. And it's funny how much race technique doesn't differ from current uh, country to country right yeah well it you know the objective there is not to look a certain way it's to finish first yeah that's right that's right they're all trying to do the same thing yeah yeah it's, it's an interesting thing that um very very much so Terry, it's always funny doing a podcast with someone that you've never, never met before. Um, but we got on really, really well, and, uh, and and I think he had a lot of. You can tell that he's sort of got a, got a lot of uh, great history in skiing. Um, you know, he's obviously skied a lot. He's been in, in and around the industry, and uh, it was really, really nice to chat to him about about all of the things that he's seen. Um, 
it was great to hear about the start of the elite skiing uh, elite skiing group and and very much we carried on in that vein so there's lots of other questions that i had for him and then the the, the conversation um moved around a little bit and and we got talking about you know various other topics in mogul skiing um technical tests uh which skiing styles and stuff that he likes so um there's much more here to to listen to in the second half i hope you enjoy it um coming up um, i'm just setting up the date now i'm hoping to get jonathan baloo from the psia as the next one i'm hoping to speak to him uh, late on in october um so very much looking forward to that one also um but for now enjoying the rest of the second half and uh, and i'll see you on the next one thanks Tell me more about this A-team members thing, because I, I, I kind of seen it, but I brushed over it. I never really looked into what it is. What, how, how does that work? What is it? Well, we, uh, you know, because of all the videos I'd watched before I started the group, um, uh, there there were certain people like uh, Riley McClash and uh, Paul Lorenz, uh, Jonathan Ballou from the U.S., mm-hmm. uh, and... and uh, Oh, one of my favorites is Stefano Bellingheri from uh, Italy. Mm-hmm. People that, uh, you know, I play the video, I just think, oh, my God, that is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Oh, I tried, uh, because, they, you know, if, if if you're a World Cup racer, you always know uh, how good you are by where you're ranked every year. Mm-hmm. And for international skiers and, and instructors, there's nothing like that. So the idea was to just identify some of these people, give them credit uh, for what they can do, and to encourage them to continue to produce really good videos. Mm. Uh, I, you know, one of the things from a teaching standpoint, one of the things that I like the best, and hardly anyone shoots that way, is from the rear. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, if 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 I'm trying to figure out what a really good skier is doing, if somebody is skiing seven or eight meters behind them, mm. then it's really easy to see exactly what they're doing. But nobody ever wants to film that way. I I told this to Riley McClash in a couple of years ago, and he has produced several videos now mm. shooting from there, and it's terrific. It's fine. well, I, I, I hate to blow my own trumpet, but I've, I shoot pretty much all my video of clients from behind because you can oh, see everything. Right. You see everything. Yeah. Um, you know, they don't necessarily like it because they're being filmed from behind, you know, and I'm, I'm sort of <laughs> following them down the hill. And and some of the young guns that we're teaching now, I mean, my God, you can barely barely keep up with them. But, uh, and it's quite hard to do that holding a camera, But uh, but but you see, it's so easy to see where things are going wrong or right from behind because you see the setup for the turn exactly you can see everything like you see transition setup and and then you know how they drop themselves into the turn and and that it's a real eye-opener you can you can be really predictive with the camera from behind to say well this turn will be good you'll have a good outcome from this one because you know x um and this turn might not be as good you can almost you know you can tell what's going to come um, just looking at as as to as to how they've set set the turn up, 
it's a, it's a really yes. useful tool. Um, and I think more, you know, often in lessons, I'll follow clients around, you know, just to, just to see what I need to see. And I see more from the, from behind than, than, than from in front, I think often. Right. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, so 18 members. So is there a, how do they, how do they, how does one become an 18 member apart from a million views on, on YouTube and whatever oh. else? <laughs> I, usually they have to be a national demo team member. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think the last time we checked was for the 2015 Interski. Uh, we compared the team lists against uh, uh, our member lists, and, and we usually have 80 to 90 percent of the demo team members, national demo team members, in elite skiing. Oh, really? That's amazing. Yeah, and that, that was a, a goal of ours. Mm-hmm. Initially, we've achieved that. Um, and it's kind of funny because you, you know, you get one, and then you get two, and then all of a sudden you get three, four, five, six, and seven just in a rush, mm. and then the only ones that um, don't seem to join are the ones that are not on Facebook. Yeah. Okay. So to answer your question, uh, we we kind of pick that based on uh, the the product they're putting out. Uh, it would be nice if we could ski with them all, but uh, we're not able to do that. And uh, we uh, like JF Blue in Canada is one of our favorites. Uh, he, um, it, it's been interesting. Uh, I, I remember seeing his videos, you know, eight, nine years ago, mm. and see how much he has improved uh, in that period of time. And he was fabulous back then. Mm. Mm. Just studying the changes that they're making. I, uh, one of the things I ask the AT members to do uh, is so often they'll stand at the top of the hill and say, okay, I'm going to make 10 short turns. And they do 10 short turns. And then they stop and they think, well, okay, I'll make 10 medium radius turns. And it's almost like they take one chip out of their brain and put another chip in. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, you know, going back to the Swiss demonstrator from 2015 that you were talking about, Mm. what, what I encourage these people to do is to show uh, flexibility and, uh, to never make more than three medium radius or three short radius turns and then switch into something else. I think that keeps you in a good neutral body position. Mm-hmm. If you can do that, uh, it shows a person being very dynamic. Mm-hmm. And Jeff Ballou now has started to do this with some of his last clips, and it's just it's fabulous to watch. Mm. The Swiss have something in their... Um final skiing exam uh which is called the free run which i think would be i'd love to see more more sort of videos of, of free run I've, I've actually got some in a in a dropbox somewhere of all the swiss tests that, that, that they have to do I'll, I'll make sure i send it over to you i'd love to do that yeah um and one of them um well so this this thing called the free run um you have to make four long turns this is all on slalom skis so you turn up on slalom skis uh four short turns four uh, long turns, four turns switch, carving switch, that is, and you have to, you, yeah, and you have to go in and out of those 
um, turns from going forward to going backwards in a different way each time. So you can 180 in, you can slide it, and then you have to kind of jump 180 out or whatever. Um, and you do this on a kind of red steepness pitch uh, of a certain length. And so it's a real test or blend to show show people what you can do. And they describe right. it as they sort of say to you, well, you know, this is your this is your business card. So you with this free run, you show us what you can do. Um, right. And you have complete freedom of expression. I think it's a really cool, cool test, you know, and it's marked, it's marked out of six. Um, and the other one that they have, which you have posted, I'm sure you have on Elite Skiing, is a video of Damien Franson doing what they call the corridor test, the couloir test. Where, right, Canadians do a lot of corridors. Yeah, so this one's variable. So, so it starts off, so it can be variations of narrow corridor, medium corridor, wide corridor, but it can be in any order. And you've got to carve your turns within these various radius corridors and so let's say you're doing um let's say they open you up with mediums and you're doing medium carve turns and the idea is to get as close to the brushes on the outside as you dare without going over them and you lose marks right. if you go over them and so you're carving these turns and then you'll go from a medium to a long which arguably is, is possible you know it's not it's, it's not that bad but then they'll tighten the corridor right up into shorts and so you've got to manage that big pressure coming off of a, say, a left or right-footed um, long turn, then, bam, straight into a bunch of short short carving turns in a narrow corridor, a four-meter corridor, and that is one of the is one of the simplest, but it's one of the hardest skiing tests I've ever had to do. It's absolutely extraordinary, right. um, and it was a real a real eye-opener as to how they make the Swiss look so agile. It's because they give them all these kind of crazy tests to do. Um, you know, as well as all the other stuff that they do with, with um, you know, Swedish turns, Norwegian turns, flick flacks, whatever, we got, you know, short-term variations, they call it. And um, I think it's, you know, those things where you can see the skier doing a whole bunch of blended stuff is much right. more valid than just watch me go down this slope doing short turns. And I, you know, the thing I like, too, in watching free skiing is that they vary the radius of the turn, like a decreasing radius turn, increasing yeah. radius turn, yeah. instead of locking into a 15.5-meter turn radius. Yeah, that's right. For the yeah. whole. Um, one of the things, uh, when I first uh, started paying attention to the Canadians, they were doing a thing in uh, not a horribly steep mogul field, say a medium steepness mogul field where they they wanted the instructors to do gs turns in a mogul field yeah yeah i'll tell but that was interesting to watch <laughs> yeah. I've, I've tried to do that uh, once or twice in my life it's not moguls aren't yeah. my specialty but yeah wow it's a hell of a test right yep i think that's uh that that shows uh, a certain level of skill that uh, mm. most people don't have that that uh, you know that would be a Canadian CSIA level four skier at a minimum. <laughs> well, I, I had heard that the Canadians in their their ski instructor examination maybe it's the four and uh, or whatever, but when it comes to bumps, um, who was it who told me this? Someone told me this, and it wasn't. It's un un uh, confirmed. So you know, shoot me down if I've got it wrong. But the in their bumps part of their exam. 
you have complete freedom. So you can take it to a mogul field and you go where you want, right? So you pick your own line and you express yourself. And a lot of other uh, examination systems, Swiss included, who I rave about all the time, but Swiss included, they ski a zip line, which they make themselves. Oh, hang on. I speak to that guy. Um, hang on, let me just, uh, just block him. Okay. So, um, yeah, so, so this, this, this uh, Canadian, as I understand it, the Canadian ski instructor um, bumps level exam. You can go where you want in the mogul field. Take it to a mogul field and go for it. With the the Swiss, they'll make a, mo a zip line mogul field, uh, zip line mogul thing, and it's just a case of trying to stay in. And it ends up always being the same thing with the British. And I think you know maybe the Irish. I'm not sure. It's what I heard is that you always end up doing a direct full line zip line, almost like a zip line descent. Uh, and, I and I think there's more to moguls than that. You know, there's, there's, I, I hate zip lines. I just yeah. Well, also, there's, yeah. like I say, it's, it's nice to be able to express yourself on a mogul field. You know, you go and say, oh, there's a nice bump right. over there. I'm going to go and use that one and jump off it or whatever. You know, there's 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 more than one way to skin a cat than, than just going sort of straight down and hammering into the face of the bumps, I think. Um, one of my favorite uh, mogul skills, skiers in the world is Sebastian Michel. He's Canadian. Yeah. Uh, high level four. He's also a coach mm. and a strong racing background. And he has a, a playful way of coming through the bumps like nobody else I've ever seen. Mm. And yeah, I just uh, I, I I watch him all the time. Yeah, uh, I, I, the, the, I, and that's nice to see, isn't it? Like it's really really nice to see. I saw I saw a guy. Um, there's a guy who's in Val d'Isère. He's quite sort of. Um, He's a lovely guy. He was on one of the level four British exams that I did. A guy called Giles Lewis. Um, hello to you, Giles, if you're out there. But he is the most extraordinary mogul skier I've ever seen live. And he was just toying with the bumps. You know, he'd arrive at the top of a bump and you kind of you could see him decide which way to go. And be, it's just extraordinary what that guy could do. I've never seen anyone quite as at home in the bumps as as that. Um, and it wasn't just a zip that he was skiing, you know. It wasn't just a right. straight line. He thought, "Oh, there's one over there. I'll go over there and kind of you know, really play yeah. around with them." And that's much nicer to see than just kind they, of. They can handle whatever they come across. That's yeah. what I like. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Sebastian Michel is he? He is in the air twenty percent of the time in a mogul field. Yeah. So cool to watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're right. It's, I mean, it's, it's it's lovely to see that. It's lovely to see. I wish we could see more videos like that of people kind of playing with playing with moguls. That would be my request to you uh, for for elite skiing content. Is I want okay. more. I, I want less uh, <laughs> le less uh, less potted kind of short turns and more kind of playful mogul mogul skiing. Please. Right. <laughs> yep. Okay. All for it. Good. And for agility. No. Yeah. Uh, one 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 of the things that one of the racers. I've always liked the most was Bodie Miller because mm. he, he looked like he could ski into a snowcat at 60 miles an hour and absorb it. Yeah. I mean, just, he's so loose mm. and structured. And, uh, you know, again, like the Swiss, or Swiss demo team guy in 2015, I, oh, I love that when mm. they use the whole body to absorb and, mm. uh, yeah, they're, they're just not structured, not overly stiff. There's not many wild guys left on the, the World Cup, is there? I don't think you can do it like that anymore. I, I suppose the, the closest would be Manny Feller, maybe. He's pretty crazy. 
He has quite a unique yeah. style. He doesn't finish many races. You know, this, <laughs> yeah. It's like he's he's actually one of my favourites. Uh, I don't know who I don't know why I'm going to watch the World Cup anymore because Marcel Hirsch is not in it anymore. So, uh, so uh, it might give it. I, I'll be tuning in for Man, the Manny Feller show. I think this year. Right. <laughs> uh, cool. So um, I want to let me see. Um, let's let's take it slightly. Had it had no uh, one last question to do with elite skiing. How do you, do you still moderate the comments? Like now, there's the, there must be an awful number of comments on each one, and and I thought the most ridiculous one that I saw the other day. I don't know who you were, but there's a picture of it. It might be Sophia Goggia or whatever, in the middle of downhill. You know, one hand on the floor, other hand up in the air, like cranking it over yeah. on something really gnarly. You know, sheet ice, or whatever. And there's a there's you know there'll be a guy on there who goes, oh, this is bad skiing, and he'll critique it based on one frame in the middle of a thing. And everyone's just like, what are you talking about? Do, do, do you do you moderate any of that, or is that just you just kind of leave it to itself these days? Well, it, it, you know, it really is a twenty-four hour thing mm. because we our members come from one hundred and one countries, right? Uh, so, you know, I and I can't stay up twenty-four hours a day. You know? right. So I sometimes I'm... I wake up and I think, oh my god, <laughs> how did this happen? Where are they going with this? And <laughs> I, I I don't understand. And the thing I keep saying on the page because most of these people who are acting like they're experts seriously they have zero credentials <laughs> we've got we've got world cup coaches on there we there are people in that group that uh, are not disguising their name but i don't mm. want to publicize that they're in there mm. because everybody's gonna start pestering them on messenger mm. but Man, you know, the the best skiers in the world are on there. National team coaches are on there. National Ski Instructor Association mm. um, clinicians are on there. And they never participate in that stuff. No. So I don't get it. I How you can take, well, let's see, uh, God, well, the Italian girl skier mm -hmm. that was just on the edge about a week ago. Yeah. Uh, at her in the cover, cover photo, mm -hmm. cover photo too, and it oh god, it was a beautiful shot, and yeah. people were critiquing her, and I think oh yeah, how can you do that? I couldn't believe it, couldn't believe it. Yeah, so yeah. I do occasionally delete those. Okay, okay, but it must yeah. be a it must be a tough job to keep up with those these days. You know, I imagine there's a few that slip well, through the net. Those long threads accomplish nothing except start arguments. Yeah. So yeah, and sometimes I just have to. There's so much to delete. I just delete the whole post. Oh, right. And go on. You can't yeah. disable the comments. That's not, not possible. Not very often. It's not possible to disable the comments for certain things. Yeah, I, I can. Uh. And if and the only one I do that on right now is global warming. Oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> cool. There's know, a there's a can of all, We don't allow politics. Yeah. But uh, if somebody posts before and after pictures of a glacier receding. Yeah. I'll post that disable the comments. Yeah. Because it's not going to accomplish anything except make a bunch of people angry. Yeah, for sure. That's that's like that along with US politics is probably the most polarizing yeah. thing ever, isn't it? That and Brexit, which is yet again come up. Yeah. Yeah. Three three things at the moment which is uh you, you just can't have a reasonable discussion about at all. And it's yep. a, it's a shame that. It's a shame it's gone out of a lot of general life is that people can't, you know, 
say yeah even agree to disagree right it's like you hold a different view from me fine not a, not a big not a big deal we don't have to fall out about it it's very strange very very strange i don't really know where that's come from in society but it's not it's not a good thing well you know i think it, it comes from um, i think in a lot of cases it comes from people who probably can't do it real well but feel like they can critique others mm. it's kind of a thing uh, my my first brush with skiing greatness was a guy who uh he came to bridger bowl and uh i i worked for this terrific ski shop in the fall and he was a rep for the olin skis o-l-i-n when they came out yeah and he he got there late they were thinking of carrying the skis in the ski shop and they wanted me to go up and try them. Mm. And so this guy, it, I, I should have had a clue with his accent, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah. we, we ended up going to the top of Bridger Bowl. Uh, I've got the comp version. He's got the standard version. There were only two at the time. Uh, and, and we've got flat light moguls that are so huge uh, you know, you could, couldn't see people from uphill sometimes. Yeah. And we get to the top, and he said, well, which way should we go? And I said, well, probably down there. Yeah. And, and he took off right down the fall line mm. and, I, and it just blew my mind. Well, it turns out he was a former Swiss downhiller. Oh. <laughs> uh, and very modest guy. So he really put me in my place. But, yeah. It's always but, the quiet ones, isn't it? It's always the quiet yeah, ones that are the good. Quiet ones. Yeah, yeah, the best, the best guys on my local hill are, uh, I, you know, the, the, you don't hear them bragging about how good they are. Put it that no. way. And it's funny because in every Swiss village, this must be the same. I imagine it's the same in the the, the French villages and Austrians as, as as well. You know, there's few guys you've never heard of who absolutely tear them out into pieces. You know, in in terms of how good they are. And yeah, you just you just wouldn't you know they just I don't know just go about it. In a, in, a, in a fairly normal way you know the guy who looks after all my insurances for the ski school now and my house and all that sort of stuff it's extraordinary skier but you never hear him talk about it it's, it's great yep crazy crazy yeah actions speak louder than words yeah that's true that's true sure. um all right i've got one last thing for you then um because i know you're a bit pressed for time and i, I don't want to keep you over 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 where we go but you've got i mean you see you see a lot of skiing on elite skiing it's clear to me that you, you're kind of very interested in the different skiing styles from around the world, and we've talked about we've talked about World Cup and how it how it looks very similar, um, because that's that, that that's the result of what they're trying to achieve. But in terms of national styles, you know, there, there there's a very clear difference, I'd say, between what comes out of the east, what comes out of the southern hemisphere. New Zealand, Australia, what comes out of Europe, even what comes out of kind of individual countries in Europe. And I'm curious to know if you have like a favorite aesthetic style or, or you know, your thoughts on that really. Well, I, I, I guess I've kind of probably said most of that already. I, I don't know if it's individuals or, or countries uh, I, I prefer efficiency uh, I, I like to tell people when I'm working with them that 
modern skiing is so simple, it's hard to understand. <laughs> because we have people who have been doing this for a long time, and they just want to make it more complicated than it is. Yeah. You know, literally put the outside ski up on edge, position your body to hold it there, change the radius of your turn mm. with slight movements, and, you know, and, and my the one that just sends me uh, literally... Uh, off a cliff is when someone says, well, he's dragging his uphill pole. Oh, my God. Who cares? <laughs> yeah. Pressure uphill pole. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's true. You, you've hit on some... Yeah, you've hit on something very, very interesting there yeah. because I, I hear a lot of people, they still... T no, that's wrong to say. Not a lot of people. Some people are still stuck in the old days. Um, yep. And I did something. I, I was doing some some uh, some media stuff for for, for my own uh, ski school, which would be released in the autumn. And we're talking about you know how just how simple it is to get modern skis to turn, right? Compared to how it was, let's say when you were in Europe in 1984, right? You know, your skis oh, yeah. are two meter twenty long. There's straight edges. You know, you had to do up unweighting. You had to kind of wait till you you had to do this kind of up motion, otherwise the skis wouldn't go round. You know, there was there was all sorts of stuff that you have you had to do back then. That now is just a question of rolling your edges from one set of edges to the other. Exactly. Yeah. And and it's never been easier to learn how to ski. And really, the participation numbers should be shooting up because it's so easy, but they're not. Uh, for whatever reason, I think it's probably more due to price than anything. Um, but I, I, that you do still see some people teaching this kind of extension movement all the time, and so there's a place for that and a time for that. But most of the time, for what most people ski, which is on the piste, it's literally right. like, how do I get my body from one side of the skis to the other? Rolling from edge to edge. Yeah, is you know, it's it's never been easier to ski. One of, one of the things we put a lot of thought into, uh, myself and my buddies, mm. when I was putting the group together was uh, just kind of a tagline. You know, what, what it was that we were in favor of, and this goes back to a question you asked early on. Mm. And after numerous changes, we came up with high-performance technical We thought, you know, we, we, we don't want to talk about skiing at 15 miles an hour down an easy hill that for mm. most people that doesn't hold much interest so we want it to be high performance and we want it to be uh technical to mm -hmm. be doing the right thing to be efficient and so we sometimes refer to that as hpts mm. as an acronym okay uh but that that's that's really uh kind of at the core of um you know what i believe and uh what we're trying to show, I guess, to people around the world. Mm, mm. So you don't, you don't have a preference for you. It's just kind of, if it's aesthetic and it, it looks, you know, it's highly technical, that's, that's good for you. You know, one, one of the, I, I've always really admired the way the really good French skiers ski. Mm. Um, they're, they're loose. They don't seem to, they seem to be more concerned about what their skis are doing than what their body is doing. Mm. Uh, and, and this, you know, I saw Keeley and Sean's race at Jackson Hole in the late 60s. And uh, uh, I, I, 
but there there is no media available on them. <laughs> Nothing. I know. I, I scanned YouTube. I can't find anything, and I uh, I'm not even sure if they fielded a team for the last two interskis. No, no, that's true. That's criminal, yeah. isn't it? I mean, they they dropped out of ISIA for whatever reason, um, along with the Austrians. Well, the Austrians send some sort of independent delegation, apparently, um, but the French definitely aren't there because they're not in ISIA anymore, which is yeah, right. which, which is just such a shame, you know, because they ski they ski beautifully. They really, really do. They're free, you know. Yeah. They, they, there's such touch on the snow. It's a real, you know, it's a real thing. I think the the group that I really appreciate that probably don't get enough press are the Australians. Mm. Uh, man, man, their demo team. But uh, you know, I I just love what those guys are doing. Mm. Uh, they seem to be taking from everybody. Yeah. Uh, because you know, being a, a counter uh, seasoned country. Mm. Uh, they have a lot of influences coming in from other countries, and yeah, uh, it's, yeah. it's amazing. Yeah, I think uh, some of their demo, well, primarily from the 2015 Interski, a lot of their stuff is really, really good. And again, Paul Lorenz, Riley McClash, and those guys. Mm. Um, and right now, both of them are in Japan in our winter, and uh, Australia or New Zealand in the summer. Mm. So, yeah. For for me, for me, those guys. I don't know them, so uh, um, you know, I can only comment on what I've seen online. Is I wonder if those guys. You know, I know that Paul does. The, he's heavily into those Japanese technical tests, isn't he? Um, and for me, they've gone a little bit too far in the other other direction. Uh, so so their skiing looks a little bit too much. Well, too much. It looks a, a lot like you know what you would expect to see out of skiing coming out of the east. Um, as opposed to, you know, for, for me, it's kind of swung too much in that direction for it to be what you'd say is an Australian style. But it might not be the Australian style in general. It might just be what those two guys are doing. I'm not sure. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I, I didn't hear part of that. Uh, oh, okay. Well, you know, don't worry. Everyone else will. It's, Akau, it's, <laughs> yeah, that Akau Mariuma, I think that's his name, uh, mm. from Japan. Boy, he is... He is so strong and athletic. He's an amazing mm. skier. Yeah. And I, the South Koreans and the Japanese, it seems like five years ago, they were really banking, really lifting their outside arm very high. Mm. Yeah, and, that's changed a lot, hasn't it? Yeah. It seems like they're moderating that now, so I, I prefer it much more. Mm. You know, they seem to be more angulated. Yeah. In, in previous... In a previous podcast with Ali, uh, Ali McGrain, he, he was saying that, that he thought that, the, say, something like the PSIA was was set up, you know, the, the national style had sort of developed because of the way, because of the nature of the country, if you like, because of the nature of the snow that, that we have in various different places. Um, he was saying that PSIA has kind of developed how it's developed because... Um, because often the clients want to ski off-piste or because you've got all this sort of controlled off-piste area, there's not so much of a huge focus on piste skiing. There's more of a high focus on kind of a generalist sort of all-mountain style that will get you around. And maybe that's how, how these national styles kind of develop to be different. That could be, yeah. Mm. Yep. Yeah, for sure. 
All right, cool. Um, what I'm going to do, I've, I almost have run out of questions, but I've certainly kind of explored all the things I want to do, and I'm, I'm conscious that, you know, I don't want to take oh, up... Uh, one, one other thing I'd like to add. Yeah, please do. Please do. For me, and we have it, we have it on our... Uh, on our website, which is EliteSkiing.com. Hmm. Uh, something else I was first really made aware of by the Canadians, the CSIA. And uh, PSIA does a little bit, but the phrase, drills for skills. Yeah. Uh, my, my personal belief is that just skiing is only going to make you so much better. Mm-hmm. But if you start doing drills to really focus on different parts of the turn, different skills... Uh, and nothing else, that that is going to accelerate your rate of uh, becoming a better skier. Mm. But ski, as a rule, don't, they don't want to. They don't want to slow down and do drills for skills, do Christie's across the hill or anything like that. They just want to ski. Yeah. Uh, my one my one buddy here, who's a former racer, uh, he in the last five years he has really adopted this approach that he does two to three warm-up runs at the start of the day with a lot of focus on drills for skills mm-hmm. and he at our local area without a doubt is the best skier All right. right now okay but, yeah that's interesting so that's that's another resource on that elite skiing uh, whenever i find a good drills for skills clip i put it on there oh really so there's a whole bunch of kind of free resource of uh of I say free. I don't know whether Elite Skiing's a uh, subscription yeah, site or not. There. It's all free. Oh, that's very generous of you. <laughs> yeah. we, um, oh, that's fine. No, that's really good because it's always useful to have a resource of decent drills here and there. I'm, I'm, I, I kind of rely. I do use drills with with clients sometimes uh, when there's a need for it, but a lot of the time I will. I will look to try and explain myself as best as possible first to try and get there that way and then you know start people uh, then then if, if that's not working then I'll uh, then I'll sort of resort to drills if you like to, to kind of you know attaching poles to people and all sorts of bits and pieces so there, but there is a place for it for sure and if there's a there's a resource which I didn't know about so this will be useful for all the ski instructors that listen you know a, a bunch of drills all in one place and we can go and visit there and have a look at them that's that's brilliant I didn't know that yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh, fantastic. All right. So let's, at the end of all of these, I say, well, where can people either find you or find the thing that you are doing? Um, in this instance, I guess it would be elite skiing, would it? Uh, yeah, Messenger. Messenger is great. I, I love it. I seem to stay in contact with people all over the world Okay. that way. Do you prefer that people go come to you through Messenger on your own Messenger or, or, or Elite Skiing Messenger? I guess it probably doesn't have. Uh, I, well, let's see. I'm not even sure. Well, they'll Whatever. find you. They'll find you <laughs> some way. I'll I'll add it as a link in the notes of the show. Anyway. If I go to Elite Skiing and hit Messenger, I think it'll come to me. Yeah. If not, they'll they'll find yeah. you. They'll find you as the, yeah. the the boss of it. Um. So Elite Skiing on Facebook and then EliteSkiing.com is the is the website. That's correct, yeah. That's brilliant. Okay. Yeah. Well, well, look. We're going to do yeah. more of that in the future, but right now it's just kind of a repository of good clips and bios on the A-team and uh, that, that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, well, that's, that's awesome. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for that. So uh, really, really appreciate your time today. Um, 
and uh, and and yeah, look, I wish you the best of luck with the group and the site. I, I think it's an absolutely wonderful thing for for skiers all over the world. Yeah, thank you. And it's you know it's kind of interesting to just uh, call time out and uh, think about all this stuff instead of just doing it, doing it, doing it one after another. So yeah, I appreciate this. this well, no, look, it's like it's nice to hear the the voice of the the, the guy behind it. Also, that's, that's absolutely oh. brilliant. <laughs> yes, sir. Well. Yeah. This has been fun.